Good morning, church. Last week, we observed God's choosing and empowering of David to be Israel's next king. We also learned what it meant for David to be a man after God's heart, where even in his failure, David runs to the presence of God to redirect David's heart towards God. Well, in today's text, we see what a heart after God's heart looks like in action. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, our story begins after David was anointed and Saul begins to go mad. The people thought music would soothe Saul, so David was asked to play his harp for Saul. And God was drawing David into the palace to groom him to be the future king. It was at this time when the Philistines invaded the land. Now, it was an unfair fight from the very beginning. See, the Philistines had craftsmen who turned iron into swords, spears with metal points, and they built chariots and shields of metal. Well, Israel did not have this. Israel had slingshots. They had farming tools and wood javelins to fight with. Weapons were so rare among the Israelites. Back in Judges chapter 5, verse 8, we are told, not a shield or spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. Now I picture this battle being like the sixth grade Joplin football team taking on the fighting Irish of Notre Dame. It was gonna be a blowout. It was over before it even started. With such advanced military technology, the Philistines were traveling throughout the Middle East easily, easily defeating villages, cities, and nations for the purpose of taking their resources. Uh, Think of the Philistines as parasites, uh, parasites who were feasting off other nations to make their life more comfortable because they didn't want to plant. They did not want to farm themselves. And that's what's happening here. The Philistines arrive at Israel's front door wanting to take Israel's crops, their their cattle, and their possessions. By now, The Philistines have advanced so far into Israel's territory, Israel had to do something. So Saul, King Saul, sends out the call to arms. Every able-bodied man came to the king's side to do as King Saul commanded, including David's older brothers. Remember, he's the youngest. If you were there that day, it would have been quite a sight to behold. Thousands and thousands of Israelites gathered on one side of the valley, and thousands and thousands of Philistines gathered on the other side of the valley. As the Israelites were getting ready, pitching their tents, and preparing for battle, the sea of the Philistine warriors began to part, and you could hear across the valley cheering that grew louder and louder. What was all the excitement about? Their champion warrior had arrived, and he was walking down the middle of the soldiers. It was the giant Goliath. Oh, he was immense. He had a height over nine feet tall. His legs, they looked like they were cut out of marble. His arms looked like tree trunks. In fact, when you saw Goliath, he wore a shirt of bronze that weighed 125 pounds. Many of Israel's own soldiers didn't even weigh 125 pounds. He had a bronze helmet to protect his head. 
He had a bronze javelin strapped to his back. He had a spear the size of a weaver's rod. In fact, its iron tip weighed 15 pounds. And if that wasn't enough, everywhere Goliath went, he had a shield bearer in front of him. In fact, if you wanted to know how big Goliath was, just look at the man who was recruited to carry Goliath's shield. He was an ox of a man himself. Can you imagine how strong he would need to be to carry the shield designed to protect a giant of a man like Goliath? The shield bearer's only job was to protect Goliath by moving this picnic table side, picnic table of a shield around. It was immense. Well, Goliath walked out from among the Philistines, and with each step that Goliath took, the Israelites held their breath. With smugness on his face, Goliath looked at the tiny Israelites from their pit, uh, with their pitchforks and slingshots, and he laughed, knowing they had no rival. Israel had no rival that could c- compete with him, who could c- defeat him. And so Goliath yelled out, You servants of Saul, why should we all fight? You send me your champion. If he defeats me, then we will all serve you. But if I defeat him, you will all serve us. Send me your champion and let's do battle. Winner takes all. No one from Israel budged. Every soldier turned their eyes to the ground, avoiding eye contact with King Saul for fear that they would be chosen to fight Goliath. I mean, look at the size of him. Would you go out and fight Goliath? The next morning, Saul decided he had to do something. So he gathered all his soldiers together and he tried his best to motivate them. He said, come on, guys, we've done it before. Let's do it again. And the Israelite soldiers, they started stomping and they started snorting like war horses ready to charge into battle. And with confidence, they marched down the hill in unison. Israel looked incredibly impressive. But then Goliath came out of his tent and he walked on to the battlefield. Remember that confidence stomping and snorting from Israel? Well, it quickly turned to whimpers, excuses, and the decision to head back to camp for an early lunch. And this is what happened time and time again. Goliath came out in the morning, and Israel didn't want to take him on. He came out at night, and Israel didn't want to take him on. Five days, 10 days, 20 days, twice a day for 30 days, Goliath came out and defied defied the armies of Israel. Like a bully on the playground, Goliath taunted and swore by his gods that he would tear Israel apart. He yelled, where is your champion? And nobody, nobody from Israel volunteered. Since Saul's motivational speech earlier didn't work, he decided to give his army additional incentive. He said, I'm going to reward the person who decides to take on Goliath with riches. 
I'm also going to give him my daughter in marriage. And if that isn't enough, the man who takes on Goliath will be exempt from paying taxes his whole life. But still, no one was willing to fight Goliath. Remember, the heart of a king in Israel is to be a heart that trusts God. And maybe I'm missing it. Saul tries to motivate his men, but I don't see anywhere in the text where Saul calls on God for guidance, where Saul calls his army to have faith in God. Do you? 35 days, 40 days pass. Goliath mocked Israel and their God, and Israel continued to retreat. But then, then David, the little brother, shows up. You see, David's dad, Jesse, sent David with groceries for his older brothers. Some grain, some bread, uh, cheese to help sustain them in the battle. Well, after 40 days of battle, David expected to see the valley filled with dead and dying bodies, soldiers exhausted from fighting. But as David looks around, he notices that the battle never even started. David's older brothers likely saw the confusion on David's face, wondering why the battle had not started at all. Embarrassed by David's confusion, Big brother Eliab gives David a piece of his mind. What are you doing here, you bratty little kid, he said. Have you come here to see carnage? Have you come to see what prizes we've collected in battle? Why don't you go back to your job with daddy? Go back and take care of those stupid sheep you look after. Eliab's attempt to embarrass David, it worked. He could tell by the sheepish look on David's face. And yet David didn't go home. Instead, David went from soldier to soldier and asked, What's going on? How come we're not at war with these Philistines? And each time he asked, he heard the same answer. Goliath. 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 Word got around to Saul that there was one person, one person who showed courage to take on Goliath. It was little Davy, Jesse's son. Saul invited David to his tent and he asked him, are you willing to take on Goliath? With confidence, David said, yes, yes, I am. That uncircumcised Philistine, why should he defy the armies of God? And Saul said, David, look at the size of him. Well, just as a person's looks are not an accurate reflection of a person's spiritual fitness to be king, an army's large and strong appearance is not an accurate reflection on the odds of victory when God is on your side. Saul tells David, you can't take him on. You don't have a chance. He's a professional soldier. He's a mammoth. And you're, you're just a little boy. Well, David looked Saul in the eyes and said with certainty, ooh, I love this. God has helped, helped me save my sheep from a bear and a lion, and he can help rescue the people of Israel from Goliath. For 40 days, Saul waited for a mighty warrior to step forward to defend Israel's honor. Saul looks at this shepherd boy and says, 
you're my best option. Actually, you're my only option. And Saul offered David his armor. In fact, Saul's armor on David looked so silly that Saul had to ask his servants, uh, do we make any bat battle armor in children's sizes? Well, David was polite and said armor wasn't necessary. This is when the story gets really interesting. David walked out of the king's tent with a determined step. None of the soldiers, none of David's older brothers, or even King Saul had seen such determination in a person's walk as they did in David. Well, as David left Saul's tent, David went to the brook and he knelt down and he took, picked up five stones. Do you know why David took five stones? Well, in 2 Samuel 21, 22, it appears that Goliath had four other brothers. David kept one stone out for Goliath, and he likely put the other four in his shepherd's bag to go after Goliath's brothers if he needed to. Now that's confidence in God. David placed a stone in his sling. Then he grabbed his shepherd's staff, and he started to walk down the side of the valley. Goliath was standing there. And as Goliath saw a speck coming down the hill, he said, What is this? Am I a dog that you send a boy with a stick against me? Well, when he saw that David was quite determined, Goliath became furious. He said, Today I will destroy you and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the animals of the field. David looked Goliath in the eyes and he said, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Today he will deliver you into my hands and I will feed you in the Philistines ar Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel and the battle belongs to him. Whew. Powerful. The confidence of this boy caused Goliath's anger to rage. No one had ever talked to Goliath like this before. Confident of victory before the battle even began. Goliath didn't know what to do with it. Goliath began to move about, which was a bit of a challenge for the guy carrying his shield. For as Goliath moved, David moved. When Goliath began to run towards David, the Israelites recognized the genius of David's battle plan. Get the picture. You see, the Philistines didn't fight with bow and arrow, which would give them the ability to fight from a distance. No, the way they fought, they fought with sword and spear. So to fight, they needed to get close, and David knew that. David stayed far enough away so Goliath couldn't get to him. To make it more difficult for Goliath, David started running around Goliath as fast as he could. Now remember, Goliath was nine feet tall, a hulk of a man, but he was not fast. It took him a little while to readjust every time he saw David dodge this way and then that way. In fact, the guy carrying Goliath's shield, he finally falls to the ground exhausted from carrying that, that shield for Goliath back and forth. So now it's Goliath and David and them alone. Well, David outflanks Goliath and he gets a clean shot on Goliath. 
David planted his right foot and he twirled his sling round and round and pushed off on his front foot and released that stone at the same time. Israel's army watched. Thousands of men held their breath as a single stone the size of a tennis ball whistled through the air. In fact, it was so quiet, you could hear the stone hit the giant. Thud. Goliath's eyes went wide, his knees buckled, and he was down on his face. Without a moment's hesitation, David sprinted to Goliath, and he pulled Goliath's own sword out of the scabbard, and he cut off the giant's head, and he held it high up in the air by the hair. Realizing he wasn't in the safest of places, Goliath's shield carrier looked at the boy David and David looked at him and with panic in his heart the shield carrier ran towards the hills to get out of David's way and the rest of the Philistines took one look at what happened and they started running for home. Oh you should see the other side of the battlefield where Israel is. In shock and awe themselves the army of Israel stood amazed. And it finally dawned on them that if that's what God can do through a little Davy, imagine what God could do through all of them. And for the first time in 40 days, the army of Israel let out a war cry. Let's get the Philistines! And they charged down that hill and up the other side, flying after the enemy. They chased the Philistines all the way back to the gates of Gath, and Israel plundered the Philistines' camp. God was victorious that day, that day that that giant fell dead. Now, if I may, I'd like to take a different angle with the application of the story of David and Goliath. What I'm about to share with you is not original with me, but that of an Old Testament scholar named Chad Bird. I think he's right, because one of the things Mr. Bird says, he says, we often hear sermons on this story as a lesson on how to overcome the giants in our lives. But this story is more personal than that. This is a story about Jesus overcoming us. Jesus killing us and saving us. You see, the Philistine giant Goliath who stood on the battlefield, he's more like you and I than we care to admit. He is, in fact, the embodiment of everything that's wrong with us. See, like me, like you, our sin makes us enemies of God because we are full of ourselves. We don't have a giant problem. We are a giant problem. We defy God. We exalt ourselves. We make it all about us. We are ego addicts. This is who we are as sinners. We are enemies of heaven, giant sinners. But what we need is not to be schooled in the art of moral improvement. Giant sinners can't be reprogrammed into good boys and good girls. What we need is not for David to hand us a 100-page self-help guide on how we can have the best life now if we simply clean up our act and get our priorities in mind. There's only one way. There's only one way to deal with a Goliath. He needs to be killed. 
And that's what our David does. You see, there was a new uh, second David, and that's Jesus. Jesus marches onto the battlefield where we face him, and his goal is to kill us. Jesus knows we need to die before we can truly live. There is no other way. But Christ, the son of David and David's Lord, does not sling a rock into our thick heads. Instead, Jesus has a liquid weapon. Jesus holds us under the water of baptism, and it's in that wet death that we are joined to a bloody death, Jesus' own death. Romans 6, 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Jesus kills us in baptism. Actually, we die with Jesus in baptism. Our sinful selves are drowned as we are crucified with Christ. Our David, Jesus, wraps his arms around our Goliath selves and he plunges us into the watery grave with him. And together we die. Jesus and I. But also together we rise with Jesus. See, it's not with five smooth stones, but with the 18 words, we are killed and given new life. Remember these words? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We die to ourselves and we're raised into Christ. We who bore the image of Goliath now bear the image of the second David, Jesus. We die and rise in him. God says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. This is how God works on us, how he always works on us. He crucifies us in the water and enlivens us in that same water. We are drowned as Goliaths, but we are raised as Davids. We die to ourselves and we live in Jesus. This, I would suggest, is a better way to teach the story of David and Goliath to our children. Rather than telling them what great things they can do, tell them what great things God has done for them through Jesus Christ. Rather than making this story another tale of, of personal victory, tell it as good news about Christ's victory over us and for us. If there are any Goliath cells in need of being put to death by Jesus in baptism, I invite you to contact us. Let us know in the comment section that you would like to know more about coming to Christ in baptism. Let Jesus kill us as Goliath, that we may rise as disciples of Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Amen.